0: Our Old Testament reading today is from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter eight, verses one through ten. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these forty years in the wilderness. That he might humble you, testing, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his (coughs) commandments or not. Pardon. And he humbled you and he let your hunger and fed you with, he let, he let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every kind, every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that, as a man disciples his son,
1: Mama, oh, Mama,
0: As a man disciples his son, the Lord your God disciplines you so that you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Today's psalm is Psalm 91. Whomever dwells under the defense of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say unto the Lord, You are my refuge and my stronghold, my God in whom I will trust. For he shall deliver you from the snare of the hunter and from the deadly pestilence.
0: He shall defend you under his wings and you shall shall be be safe safe under his feathers. His His faithfulness and and truth shall be your shield and buckler.
1: You shall not be afraid of any terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, of the the pestilence
0: that walks in darkness, (gasps) nor of the sickness that that destroys at noonday.
1: A thousand shall fall beside you, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you.
0: Indeed, Indeed, with your eyes, you you shall behold and and see see the reward of the ungodly.
1: Because you have said, the Lord is my refuge and have made the most high your stronghold. There shall shall no
0: evil happen to to you. Neither Neither shall shall any plague come near your dwelling.
1: He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways.
0: They shall shall bear you in in their hands. hands. That you You hurt not not your foot foot against against a stone.
1: You shall tread upon the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you shall trample under your feet.
0: Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I I will deliver deliver him. him. I will lift Lift him him up because because he has known my name. name.
1: He shall come upon me and I will hear him. He shall call upon me and I will hear him. Indeed, I am with him in trouble. I will deliver him and bring him honor. With With long life
0: life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation.
1: Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As As it was was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. Lord, without end. Amen. Our New Testament reading today is from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 6, verses 1-10. through Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I've helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we command ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and by the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors, and yet we are true. An unknown, and yet well known. As dying, and behold, we live. As punished, and yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: So I just wanted to introduce the next voice that you're going to hear who will be unfamiliar to most of you. Um, We have some guests at our house this weekend. It's uh, Andrew and Stephanie Evans and little baby Peter, who I think is sleeping. Um, But Andrew and Stephanie are friends of ours from Church of the Resurrection in DC. And Andrew, uh, a couple months ago, was ordained as a deacon. And it is in the In the the Anglican service, uh, in the Anglican worship service, it's always the deacon's privilege to read the gospel. And so I've asked Andrew to read this morning's gospel passage.
3: This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke.
0: Glory to you, Lord Christ.
3: And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The Gospel
2: of the Lord.
0: Praise to you, Lord Christ.
2: Thanks, Andrew. This passage in Luke uh, is one that is found in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, the temptation of Jesus. And it happens immediately after the baptism of Jesus. And so what is this story doing here? What are we supposed to learn from it? Why did Why did this thing happen to Jesus? Why did Luke wanna write it down for his original audience? And what is this supposed to mean for us today? When I was a kid, um, I, Every time I went to the doctor's office or the dentist's office, I always enjoyed reading a book. Uh, I'm sorry, a magazine called Highlights for Children, and it had in it a a little cartoon at the end of every uh, at the end of every issue called Goofus and Gallant, and it was these two boys, one named Goofus, and the other one named Gallant, and it was a it was a morality tale. It was an object lesson. It was behaviorism. It was here's Goofus who does everything wrong and he's selfish or he's thoughtless or he's just a clod and then in the same situation here's this boy named gallant and he does everything right and he is trustworthy and he is thoughtful and he's considerate and he uses good manners and so the 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 idea every month was shouldn't you want to be more like gallant than like goofus at times when you hear this passage preached or when you hear it referenced the temptation of jesus it is easy to think of this as just a simple morality tale. Well, Jesus was tempted and Jesus resisted temptation. And so shouldn't you therefore, when you're tempted, resist temptation? Yes, yes, you should. And that's one of the reasons why this is here. But to think that it's the only reason why this is here really misses the, the, the point of this story. This is a story about the trustworthiness of God's word. Let me explain. So there are three things that the devil tries to tempt Jesus with. Jesus has just come up out of the waters of baptism. And the very last words that we hear in the Gospel of Luke, in the middle of Luke chapter three, is the audible word of God the Father coming out of heaven, saying, you are my son, in you I am well pleased. And then we see the genealogy of Jesus, that he was the son of actual real people, that he was of the tribe of Judah. And Luke traces his genealogy from Joseph all the way back to Adam. And so the subtle message here is this is a man. And yet, the last words that we heard were God the Father saying, you are my son and you I am well pleased. And so the next words that we hear, the next bit of dialogue is satan is the devil saying if you're really the son of god if you're really the son of god then tell these stones to become bread so god the father audibly says you are my son and you i am well pleased and then satan comes along and says if you're really who you say you are then do this thing do this miracle and this is the second mention of stones in less than a chapter. And I don't think that's accidental. When you hear something repeated in the Bible, very close to very close to an, an, another repetition of it it, it, it should kind of prick something in your mind, like, what's he saying here? Because in, in Luke chapter three, John the Baptist is exhorting the Jews to be true followers of God. And he says don't even think you know well I'm I'm of the lineage of Abraham so so I'm fine because if God wanted to he could turn these stones into his followers he could turn he could turn these rocks into into the children of Abraham and here we have Satan saying if you're so powerful why don't you turn these rocks into bread and that's such a that's such a lower ask that's such a smaller thing and and, and when you read it you're kind of like you can imagine Jesus going bread, Bread, if I wanted to, I could turn these rocks into people. And you want me to turn it into bread? Jesus is, Jesus is pushing back on the idea that Satan is trying to trying to destroy his confidence in God's word. And that's where, that's where the heart of this passage is. Satan wants to destroy our confidence in God's word. And Jesus turns that right back around on him. And he says, do you really think that bread's going to sustain me? Man shall not live by bread alone. He immediately quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says, man shall not live by bread alone. And any time in the New Testament, when you hear the Old Testament quoted, it's a good idea to remember that the people of that day would have been so familiar with these Old Testament passages that to say one little line is not like a proof text or pulling something out of context. It's supposed to evoke the entire passage. And so Jesus, all Jesus says to Satan is, man shall not live by bread alone. But to the original hearers of this of this gospel, to the, to the people who were around at the time, they would have, in their minds, been able to supply the next verse, which is, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Jesus is saying, "I the, the word of God, the trustworthiness of God is much more important to sustaining me and feeding me than any bread can be. And that's true for us too. We we need the word of God, the trustworthy, authoritative word of God. We need that in our lives a lot more than we need bread. Bread is important. Bread can sustain us for a day. The word of God can nourish us and strengthen us and feed us in a way that no bread ever could. And, and we can't get our identity from the food that we eat. We can't get our identity from the things that we surround ourselves with from the the creature comforts that we have even the things that we need our identity will never come from that but the word of god gives us our identity and, and a posture and a path in life and then jesus proves that the word of god is trustworthy in this next temptation because the devil promises jesus all the kingdoms of the world he says i have been given authority over all this stuff and i will give it to you because i can do with it what i want and that's true and that's one of the one of the schemes and lies of the devil is that the devil will mix truth and falsehood. We can think of this back in Genesis chapter 3. When when Satan says to Eve, did God really say not to touch that tree? He just asked a question. Did God really say not to touch that tree? And Eve actually goes above and beyond what God had said. She said, God told us that we can't that we can't eat it, that we can't even touch the tree or will die. And Satan jumping on that says, you're not gonna die if you touch that tree, which is true, God never said that. And so Satan loves to mix truth and lies. And so here he he states very clearly and truthfully that he has been given some authority over, over the kingdoms of the world. And he's willing to give that authority to Jesus if Jesus will just bow down and worship him. And if you've read the rest of the Bible, if you buy into the idea that Jesus actually was this unique God man, then this story ends up actually being a lot funnier than I'm sure Satan intended it to be. Because Satan says, if you bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. It reminded me this week when I was looking at this, it reminded me of, um, of my son, Gus. Gus is three. And he's getting to that stage where he sometimes has trouble recognizing things that are his versus things that are not his. And he will often come up to me with something kind of hidden behind his back. And he'll say, Dada, I have a present for you. And he'll be so happy. And I'll say, oh, what is it? And he'll he'll produce something from behind his back that, that's that's mine. Like it's already mine. Like it's literally something that I own. And he's trying to give it to me. Or if I go into his room for some reason, and he gets a little antsy about that sometimes. He goes, I go into his room and, and he wants me to stop touching stuff because that's his stuff. And yeah, it, it is his stuff, but but this is our house. We got it for you. And so it's not really yours. We're telling you that it's yours, but it's not really yours. Do you see what I'm getting at here? Like the the devil, the accuser has been given some amount of power and influence over this realm. We see that throughout the Bible but he's been given some amount of power and influence over this realm by the one who created it. He's been given it to him by God because it pleased God to do that because it fit in with his plan of redemption. So his power, the devil's power is limited by his createdness. He's not the one who made any of this stuff. Anytime that you hear, this is really important. Anytime that you hear kind of narrations or 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 stories of god and the devil battling it out or 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 the forces of good and the forces of evil aligned against one another oftentimes you'll hear them as as equal but opposite powers that the outcome is somehow in doubt and that's a great story it just doesn't happen to be christianity christianity is so much more trustworthy than that because the outcome between the battle of good and evil is already known it's already known what's going to happen this is not this is not the God versus the devil. This is not Jesus versus Satan and who knows what's going to happen. It seems like Jesus might win, but the outcome's sort of in doubt. This is the creator of the universe who has, because it pleased him to do so, given the devil some amount of authority and power in this world. And here so here's the devil, like a little three year old, trying to say, Hey, if you just do this thing, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And you can just imagine Jesus going, I, how are you going to give me something that I've already made? Everything that's happening right now is in my plan and my path of redeeming my creation. How are you going to try to give me something that I already made? And so we see here Satan trying to tempt Jesus again by asking him to do something that would make the word of God untrustworthy. He's saying all you have to do is bow down and worship me. And Jesus, once again, rightly just turns right back to the word and he says, the only one that you're supposed to worship is God. He's the only one deserving of worship. He's the only one worthy of worship. He's the only one that we can worship because he's the only one that we can truly and fully trust. So he's tempted with this rule and reign over the powers of the earth. And in some ways I could understand if he did it because that was his mission. He came here to be crowned King. He came here to have all authority in heaven and on earth given to him. And so this might be a cute and convenient way to kind of shortcut that process. This might be a little way to say, well, in this case maybe the ends justify the means and we can kind of skip to the end of the story and maybe I can, maybe I can forego all that cross and dying stuff. But Jesus knew that the path that God had him on was for a reason. And so he didn't shortcut the process. He didn't short circuit what he had to do. He simply relied on the word of God as trustworthy and true. And he said, you are to worship God only because only God created these things. Only God sustains these things. Only God directs our paths. You, Satan, are a creature and you do not have the power that you think you have and Jesus knew that building his kingdom in this way by short-circuiting it by by cutting the process was not going to to build the kind of kingdom that he wanted because his kingdom was to be built on his kingdom was to be built on meekness his kingdom was to be built on people humbling themselves and following him this was not simply the means to an end where the ends justify the means. This was the the process itself. The means are important. Jesus gathering people to himself from the poor and the hungry and the outcast and the outsider. People who never thought they would have any need for Jesus or people who never thought they could be deserving of a savior. And he took the time over years to gather them to himself and that's how he built his kingdom. So the first two temptations are satan saying to jesus why don't you go ahead and feed yourself you've been out here for 40 days you're very hungry and i know that you're god so why don't you make yourself some food out of this bread the second temptation is g is satan saying why don't you give yourself a break rather than going through all of this why don't we just crown you king right now i'll give you authority over the entire place all you have to do is worship me but jesus knew Jesus knew that that wasn't how he wanted to build his kingdom. However, one of the ways that Jesus did build his kingdom was through signs, miracles. Signs that would draw people to him that then he could start to teach and disciple them into his way of living. And at the end here, Satan says, well, let's perform a very public miracle. He he took him to the top of the temple, the center of Jerusalem, the busiest city in Israel. The temple was busy 24 hours a day, six days a week and it would have been the most public place for a sign to be done and satan says why don't you throw yourself off of this temple off of the pinnacle of this temple because i know because psalm 91 says that for the holy man of god that god will not let god's angels will attend to you because you won't even dash your foot against the stone this would have been a very public sign this could have jump-started jesus's ministry a lot faster than wandering around the little nothing towns of Galilee like i said the temple was the center of jerusalem jerusalem was the center of israel to pull off a very visible miracle here in broad daylight would have been a great way to get this ministry going but that's not what jesus is about he's not about shortcutting the process he's not about the the ends justifying the means and satan here tries to again tries to undermine our confidence in the word of God, because he quotes scripture. And there've been a lot of of people throughout the the ages that say, knowing scripture is one thing, but understanding it is something else entirely. You can memorize the entire Bible, but if you don't understand it, it's actually going to do you more harm than good. And the, 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 the example that they use here is Satan quoting scripture. And they'll often say that, you know, the devil knows the Bible a lot better than you do. He just doesn't understand it. And so the devil here quotes scripture. He quotes Psalm 91, but Jesus once again says, no, 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 that's not, you're misusing the word of God. The word of God is truth. The word of God is trustworthy and the word of God is authoritative. And what the word of God says is that you shall not put your God to the test. This story is a little bit about how we might live our lives. The echoes throughout scripture of Jesus going into the wilderness and being tempted are clear. We can think back to Adam in the garden when he was put a test by God. In the middle of this garden paradise, God said, don't eat that one thing. And Adam and Eve couldn't do it. We can think of the Israelites where God had brought them out of slavery through the waters of the Red Sea and into this wilderness area where they were wandering for 40 years. And Jesus coming out of the waters of baptism was then immediately brought into this wilderness area where he was wandering for 40 days. And the Israelites fell to temptation, just like Adam did. They tried to make their own God. They grumbled against God's plans. They rebelled. They tried to take shortcuts in order to fulfill the promises of God. And so Adam fell to temptation. Israel fell to temptation. Jesus did not fall to temptation. Jesus is our true and final Adam. Jesus is the the one true Israel. And Jesus is trustworthy. And that's the point of this story. Jesus is trustworthy. At the the very beginning of Luke's gospel, in uh, in Luke chapter one, verse one, Luke says exactly why he's writing this book. He he addressed uh, the person that he was writing this gospel for, but it was then meant to be spread around. It was a man, presumably a Greek man named Theophilus. And at the beginning of Luke 1, Luke says, as many have undertaken to uh, compile a narrative of all the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, and they delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past to write down an accurate account for you most excellent theophilus so that and this is the key part so that you might have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught and so luke the entire point of writing this book is luke wants to provide an accurate and orderly account so that new christians uh greek christians Followers of Jesus who might not have grown up, saturated in the Old Testament like the Israelites or the Jews would have been. So that these people, baby Christians, could understand more about exactly who this Jesus is that they had begun to commit their lives to. And it's the same with us. It's the same with us reading this 2,000 years later. It's easy to read this story of Jesus being tempted and say, well, uh, of course, Jesus wasn't really tempted. Like, he's God. Of course, he's going to pass these tests. But that's the incredible thing about our Savior. It's the unique thing about who Jesus is. Jesus is fully God. He is fully God. He is the creator and sustainer of the universe. And Jesus is a person. And we know that we can trust him as our King because as a person, he would have been subject to the same trials, temptations as we go through every single day. And yet we know that even in his personhood nature that he was able to resist them. The trials, the temptations, the things that we are presented with as possibilities every single day can be so subtle or so huge. And in both cases, we're called to resist them. Whether it's, you know, seeing a, a wallet on the street that's filled with hundred dollar bills and there's nobody else around and we could just take it or whether it's something, I mean, that's, that's an obvious example, but maybe it's something a lot more subtle. Um, In my, in my first marriage, I had what would probably be called today an emotional affair with somebody. There was a woman who I worked with, who I, was good friends with. And I became close with her. And I gave into the temptation to to treat her as more than a friend. And nobody knew about it. But I knew about it, and God knew about it. And it affected me, and it affected my marriage in subtle ways that I might not have even understood, because I gave into that temptation it was so easy and it was so subtle. The temptations that we are faced with every day are real. Jesus was the one person who was able to resist temptation. The reason that we can trust Jesus is because not only is he God, not only is he perfect and good and true and beautiful, but he is also a man. He is a man Who is tempted in every way like us and yet was without sin. And that's the kind of king that we can put our faith in. That's the kind of high priest that we can come to and confess to, knowing that he understands us. It's the incredible thing about our Savior. He is trustworthy. This is this is basically Hebrews chapter four. The end of Hebrews chapter four basically gives the application for this, for this part of Luke. In Hebrews 4, the author of Hebrews says what our takeaway should be. And our takeaway is Jesus is trustworthy. It says, starting in verse 14, it says, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us therefore hold fast to our confession or, or let us have confidence in our confession or let us let us make our confession an intrinsic part of who we are. And it goes on to say, because we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. That is, we're not just confessing our sins to a God who, never having a fallen nature, has no idea what real temptation is like. It says we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But, it says, one who has been been tempted in every way as we are, and yet is still without sin. Tempted in every single way that you and I are every day. Anything we face in life, Jesus faced it too. Anytime that we are tempted to go our own way, to give in to what we want, to take something for ourselves that we don't deserve, to take a shortcut, to choose any time that we are tempted to choose the easier wrong over the harder right. We can know in that moment that Jesus faced that same temptation. And then it goes on to say in Hebrews, it doesn't say, it doesn't, here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, therefore, you have the ability, just like Jesus did, to always, always, always choose the right thing. It doesn't say that. That's actually a heresy called Pelagianism that came up in about the year 400. We do not, despite having Jesus within us, despite being united to Christ, We do not yet have the ability to consistently choose the perfect action. We will someday, praise God. But we do not possess that and nowhere in the Bible does it say, therefore you should be able to always do like Jesus did. But what it does say in Hebrews is because we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us therefore hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, but one who was tempted in every way like we are and yet was without sin. Therefore, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can boldly approach the throne of grace. And approaching the throne of grace means that, what that means is we approach it on our knees. We approach the throne of grace in a humble posture of confession. And I know I've said this before and I'm not good at it myself. And that's why I'm gonna keep saying it. Christianity is not, oh my gosh, I really messed up. I hope my dad doesn't find out. Christianity when it's done well is, oh my gosh, I really messed up. I have to go tell my dad. Because we have a great high priest who was tempted in every way like we are, we can boldly approach the throne of grace and say, God, I messed up. I blew it again. Will you please forgive me? And our high priest, Jesus, who is mediating, constantly mediating between us and the Father, says, yeah, you did. You messed up bad. You did. And I know what that feels like to be tempted. And I bled and died for that sin. Let me go talk to my dad about it. Let me pray for us. Father, we we ask that you would give us more boldness. I ask that you would give me more boldness to humbly approach the throne of grace, to run to your throne of grace, because we know that our great high priest, King Jesus, was tempted in every single way that I am. And so he can sympathize with me. He can empathize with me and yet, he is without sin. So he can he can be fully in your presence. That mystery, Lord, of, of being united to Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit so that I too can come to you. That mystery is, is the thing that we are here to celebrate. That mystery is the thing that we want to push deeper into. God, thank you for the path that you have laid out for your redemption. Thank you that Jesus didn't cut corners or take shortcuts. And thank you that he was tempted in every way like we are so that when we read this, we can actually have more trust in your word, both in your written word and in the word made flesh, that we can have confidence and trust in, in the scripture that you have given to us and that we can have confidence and trust in Jesus.